I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, speaking of children, it's got nothing to do with our lesson today, but a little boy was visiting a church service, and he noticed on his way out the door in the vestibule, they had pictures of four or five men in army uniforms on the wall. And so the little boy asked the pastor, he said, Pastor, he said, what, why are those men's pictures on the wall? He, and the pastor said, well, son, said, those are men of the church that died in the service. And the little boy kind of thought for a minute and said, did they die in the morning service or the evening service? <laughs> uh, so uh, children are, are truly a blessing, and it's thankful to, thankful to have them here. There is a big difference between theory and application. You go to school, you learn a lot about different theories. When I went to school, I learned about music theory. When some of you here went to school, you learned about engineering theory, and nursing theory, and other things. But you find out when you get out into the world that theory is one thing, application is another thing. Uh, and the same is true with Bible teaching. We we learn a lot about Bible and Scripture and doctrine, and we've talked quite a lot this more uh, in this series in First John because John brings it up a lot, and he's going to bring it up again before we finish this little letter. But he talks about love and what it means to love as Christians, and we all understand that we are supposed to love, and and this text today gets down really truly into the application of love, the nitty-gritty of what it means to live love and live loved and, and what it means to show Christian love. So let's start reading 1 John 3, beginning at verse 16. 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth, and we shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandments. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Now verse 24 is a transition verse. It, uh, it transitions between verse 23 of chapter 3 and verse 4 of chapter, or uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. 
Remember when John wrote this, John did not write the verses and the chapter divisions. He wrote one big letter. And just the way that the folks who broke this down into verses and chapters, the last verse of this chapter really is should be connected with the first verse of the next, or the, with the paragraph of the next chapter. Uh, but we're going to show a little transition there when we get to it. But we look at the idea of what does love look like? We talk about love. We know we're supposed to love. If I were to ask you the question, how many of y'all believe we should love one another as a Christian, everybody throw their hand up. Boy, I believe that. I know we ought to do it. The bottom line is, what does that mean? What does that look like? How does that show up every day? It's one thing to say we love. It's another thing to show that we love. And that's what John gets to in, in this section of Scripture today. Several things about true love. Remember in the New Testament, the Greeks had several different words for love. They had four different words for love. Our love for word, uh, our word for love in English, covers everything from loving apple pie to loving your mama to loving uh, your house to loving God to loving each other. It's a very broad word. But the Greeks had four different words. Three of those are used in the New Testament. Well, the word that's not used in the New Testament is the word stargate. And that's a uh, just the kind of friendly friendship love. Uh, there's also the word that is used in the Bible, the word eros. That's where we get the idea of erotic. It is a, a sensual type of love. There's also the word phileo. Uh, it is a brotherly love, a familial, a familial love, the way you would love your brother, your sister, your mother, your father. But the main way and the way that Jesus commands us to love, and John does too, is the word agape. And that word agape means to seek the highest good. The word agape is the only one of those four types of love that can be commanded. When Jesus tells us to love your neighbor, that is a command. It's not a suggestion. Jesus doesn't say love your neighbor if you want to. Love your neighbor if he or she is loving. Love your neighbor if they do nice things to you. Jesus says love your neighbor. And notice what comes next, period. There's nothing that comes out. Jesus could command that because the only way we can have agape love is through the Holy Spirit. We can't show agape love through human power, through human connection. It's a godly thing. And, and we'll see that as we go along. So what are some characteristics of true love that John showed us today? shows us today? What does living love and living as a loving person look like? First of all, true love requires sacrifice. Verse 16. True love requires sacrifice. By this we know, because he laid, or by this we know love. Here's how you know what love is. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. I've got a question for you. When things get dark and hard and confusing and difficult, in the back of your mind sometimes, and I think Satan sometimes helps us with this, 
You ever think God doesn't love you? Well, if God loved me, why would I go through this? If God loved me, why would my loved one be acting this way? If, if God loved me, why am I sick? If God loves me, why is this happening? If God loves me, why is that happening? Can I encourage you, when you get that feeling, to remember this verse? By this we know love, that he gave his life for us. Jesus Christ loved me, God loved me, so much that he died for me. He loved you so much that he died for you. Now, we may, there are a lot of different ways people can show love, but can we honestly say that there's a greater way of showing love than to die for somebody? To give your life for them? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loves us. God loves you. And it's a sacrifice. How do you know God loves us? Because he gave the supreme sacrifice. He gave himself to die for us. He gave us the greatest gift of all. A gift that went to the cross and died for us. And notice what he says at the end of verse 16. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our life for our brethren. You want to know how that you know God loves you? Jesus died for you. Do you want to know how we know we love each other? Are we willing to die for each other? Here's a question that's going to cut to the quick. I want you to look around at the people sitting next to you and in front of you and behind you. Got them in your mind? If the government were to come in right now or terrorists were to come in right now and put a gun to your head and say, I'm going to kill one of you. Am I going to kill you or one of the others? Are we willing to say we die for each other? Now, I've got no doubt that if we're sick, y'all proven this over and over and over again. When we're sick, we take people apple pie, right? We take them for this. This is a cook in this church. <coughs> But the real question is, you say we love. We truly know that we love when we're willing to lay down our life for someone else. And I'm going to take it even further. What about that person that's sitting in this church assembly that's part of our church family here? You don't like them or you're not as close to them as you are others. Would you die for them? You see, Jesus died not only for me, but he died for those scoundrels. He died for bank robbers. He died for murderers. He died for liars. He died for homosexuals. He died for alcoholics. He died, 
died for drug addicts. Would we die for each other? By this we know love, verse 16, because he laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our life for others. And as we've said, I know that most of us will make sacrifices for one another, but would we lay down our lives for fellow Christians? Now, can I say this? Chances are we'll never be faced with that. But did you know this morning and other places in the world, we have Christian brothers and sisters that have to answer that question several times a day because they're dying for their faith. Christians are dying in this world. Open Door does a, they keep up with Christian persecution throughout the world. And they tell us that more Christians have died in the 20th and so far in the 24th century, uh, 21st century than the previous 19th centuries before put together. We don't hear about it because it's not on our news. It doesn't fit the agenda. But there are folks in communist countries, there are folks in Muslim countries, in Hindu and Buddhist countries. They're giving their lives every day, and that may come to America. And one of the ways that we show love is to be willing to lay down our life. So true love requires sacrifice, but... True love also reaches out to others. Look at verse 17. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? John is saying here, don't say you'll lay down your life when you won't even lay down your wallet. Don't say you'll lay down your life when you won't even lay down your calendar. Don't say you'll lay down your life when you won't even lay down your pickup truck or, or whatever somebody might need. True love reaches out to other people. John says that the one who has something to share and doesn't share it, look what John says. John says here in verse 17, how does the love of God abide in him? He says, if we're not sharing and loving and sacrificing and caring and meeting needs of the people around us, he said, there's a real chance you're not a Christian. There's a real chance you haven't been born again because the love of God that's living in you, you are not pouring out to others. The reason why God can command us to love agape style is because it takes God's power to love that way. God's got to put that in us. And if God has saved us and put that in us, and we're not using it, then it begs the question, has he really put it in us? Amen? Does that make sense to everybody? True love reaches out. True love doesn't hoard. True love doesn't invest in itself to see how much... <coughs> excuse me, to see how much stuff it can acquire. True love shares with those who need it. If I've got two coats, why not give a coat to somebody else? 
I'm the, can I tell you, I'm at the top of this list. I'm not telling you y'all need to do this. What I'm saying is we need to do this. I got a closet full of clothes. Uh, there's never a question in my day of what, what am I going to, do I have something to wear today? It's what am I going to wear today? Here's a question for us, and don't answer this out loud, but how many of us have thought, you know, I think I'm going to give some of my clothes to Goodwill, and or I'm going to downsize and go through my closet. And, and so we start looking through and looking at shirts, and, and we go, I forgot I had this. You ever done that? We have so much stuff we can't remember. That's how I ended up with three or four red polo shirts. I forgot I had them, you know. We have so much in our country. My, we went out to eat with my mom yesterday, and Marie and I did. We got to talking about how, and I just noticed every restaurant we went into yesterday was just was packed. They were covered up with, I know the weather was nice, and I think people were getting stir-crazy, and, and they went out to eat. But for that many people to be so blessed to go into every restaurant and it be packed, we are so blessed, and we have so much. And do you know what I'm, I'm afraid of? And I, I really, I believe this with all my heart. And I, I don't want to sound like a, you know that old man that yells at the little kids to get off the grass? And uh, that, that grumpy old man that yells at a cloud? And I don't want to be that grumpy old man yelling at a cloud. But the longer I live, and some of y'all have lived longer than I have, but the longer I live, I've noticed that it seems like the more blessed and affluent our country has become, the more entitled, selfish, and hateful it's become. I'm concerned in our world today, not because of what's going on. What goes on in the Middle East is concerning. But what's concerning to me is if our country was to get into a war, have we become so affluent and so selfish that we could even come together to agree to sacrifice our wants and needs for the common good of everybody? I don't know that we can, this country, and maybe, maybe it will. But our affluence, this is going to sound bad, but I believe it's true. Even in the church, our affluence takes us away from God. Our affluence puts us, we become dependent upon ourselves rather than dependent upon God. God warned the Israelites. He told them as they got ready to enter the promised land. God said, when you get there, you're going to live in houses you didn't build. And you're going to eat off of vineyards you didn't plant. And you're going to eat crops that you didn't raise. And God says, when that happens, God says, you'll forget about me. Haven't we done that? I'm guilty of it. Give us this day our daily bread. Most of us have weekly bread stored up. 
daily bread, a lot of it. You know why God only allowed the Israelites to have enough manna to last that day? It's because God says, I'll take care of you today. And I'll take care of you tomorrow. Don't get tomorrow's food today. You eat today's food. If you try to get tomorrow's food, it's going to get worms and spoil. The only day he allowed them to eat extra was Sabbath. He said, on Friday, you take two days' worth because on Sabbath, on Saturday, you rest. Give us this day our daily bread. True love shows up in action. True love reaches out to others. Verse 18, true love requires action. My little children, let us not love in word or in deed, or word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Words are cheap. It doesn't cost a lot to say. I love you. Anybody can say I love you. It's much harder to show that we love. It's not wrong to tell somebody you love them. We ought to tell folks that. If you love somebody, for Pete's sakes, let them know you love them. Don't wait to a funeral and say, I wished I'd have told them I loved them. Or I don't remember if I told them I loved them. Let them know you love them. But don't stop there. Show them. Show it in action. There might be a guy that he says, I'm hungry or I'm homeless and I'm cold. I don't have a coat. And we say, well, brother, I hope you get a cold. I'll pray for you. And we go on. Now that sounds very Christian-like. But you know what Scripture tells me my job is? It says, if I've got a coat, and I see somebody that needs one, I'm supposed to take the one off my back and give them the one I'm wearing. And you might say, well, I like my coat. This is a, I've always wanted this coat. Well, think how good they'll look in your coat, amen? <laughs> and after all, don't you have another coat at home? And if you don't, can't you go to Walmart and get you another one or to Goodwill? Do y'all know they sell pretty good stuff at Goodwill and the different thrift stores that are around? They have, I got a Joseph A. Bank suit with tags on it that had never been worn for like $11.50. You can get good stuff. True love requires action. The ones you truly love will see the way you love them in action. It's easy for me to come to Marie and say, Marie, I love you. <coughs> now, cook my dinner, wash my clothes, comb my hair, vacuum that floor, get with it, hurry up, go. If I come to church with a knot on my head next time. <laughs> but you see the point I'm making? It's easy to say I love you. Show it. Show your wife you love them. Show your husband you love him. Show your kids you love them. Show your parents you love them. True love requires sacrifice. True love reaches out to others. True love requires action. And true love gives us
confidence. The world in which we live goes a long way toward making us insecure and uncertain. Most of us could use a dose of confidence, couldn't we? And can I tell you we don't need more confidence in ourselves? The, word, the world tells us we need self-confidence. The world tells us that we need to pick ourselves up by the bootstraps and, and take care of ourselves and be confident and be assertive and go conquer and go take the world. God tells us in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We don't need confidence in ourselves. What we need confidence in is God. We live in a God that knows exactly what's going on today. We live in a God that is on his throne and, and he can tell what's going to happen. But scripture tells us here, let, let's read verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word or in deed, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know. What is the this we know? By living and loving in deed and in truth. By loving in deed and truth, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Loving the way we should love, living a Christian love, living our lives showing agape love gives us confidence. It gives us confidence in at least three areas. First of all, confidence of heart, verses 19 and 20. By this we know that we are of the truth we, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. To be of truth, he says. By this we know we are of the truth. That's Jesus, John 14, verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. How do you know you're living in Jesus? How do you know you're living like Jesus? By loving the way Jesus loves. And if we can do that, we can assure ourselves and assure our hearts that we're right before God. Flip back here very quickly to John chapter 1 and verse 28. John 1, 28. We talked about this when we, read, when we were in this passage. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Jesus Christ is coming back, right? And we understand that as Christians, if we've trusted Jesus as our Savior, the salvation question, the salvation issue has been settled. That's 1 John 1.28. But even as Christians, we are still going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not to give an account, are we saved or lost? But Jesus is going to ask us, how did you live your life after you got saved? Did you love like you should? Did you live like you should? Did you act like you should? Did you obey like you should? And so John says in 1 John 1, 28, he says, there are going to be some that are going to have confidence at his appearing, and there are some that are going to be ashamed. What's that? It's 2. I'm sorry, it's chapter 2. My bad. Chapter 2, verses, uh, verse 28. Thank you, Clay. Uh, when we stand before Jesus as Christians, 
Once again, it's not going to be about our salvation. That Once we trust Jesus as our Savior, that question's been settled. What we are going to do, though, is did you love like you should? Did you share Jesus like you should? Did you witness like you should? Did you keep God's commandments like you should? And there are some that can have confidence, and there are some that are going to be ashamed. So when we go back to chapter 3, verse 19, he says, by this, when we love like we should, then we shall assure our hearts before him. Our hearts can have confidence if we are living and loving the way we should live in love. But notice verse 20. He says, for if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Satan tries to pull. Satan's sneaky. And Satan sometimes tries to convince us that we're not who God says we are. And sometimes Satan will tell us, well, if you're really a Christian, you'd have done this for that person, or you'd have done that for this person, or, or you wouldn't have said an ugly word, or you wouldn't have lost your temper, or you wouldn't have done this or that. And our hearts condemn us, Right? Our hearts say, well, maybe we're not God's children. Maybe, maybe we're not where God wants us to be. Notice what John says here to give us confidence. John says, God is greater than our heart. Our heart, remember what we said about our heart a while ago? Our heart will deceive us. Our heart will trick us. Satan will trick us. He'll, he'll deceive us. But greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Understand that, and there are times that our heart convicts us of sin. We're walking in a way, we're doing something, we're failing to do something that we ought to do or ought not do, and that's our heart condemning us. That's our heart convicting us. And when that happens, you know, John says in 1 John 1, 9, remember that memory verse we talked about? That if we sin, if we'll confess our sin that the blood of Jesus Christ is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, when the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, confess it. And can I say this when you confess it? Be done with it. If the Lord's forgiven you, he's forgiven you. Live forgiven, live loved. And if your heart's convicting you through Satan or unjustly, say, get behind me, Satan. Scripture tells me in Romans 8 and verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Living loved and loving others the way we have been loved allows us to have confidence in our heart. But it also gives us notice not only confidence of heart, verse 21, it gives us confidence with God. If a heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Now that doesn't mean we're saying, God, look at me. <laughs> I'm confident. We should never be cocky in front of God. We're God and He's not. Amen. But what we can't what we can do, even though he's God and we're not, 
we can still stand before God with confidence that we are living in his will and we have obeyed his commandments and we're living loved. That's the opposite of living in shame. If you've not loved like you should or you haven't lived like you should, when the Lord comes back, we're going to have shame. On the other hand, if we're living in his will, we can have confidence that when he comes back, we're where he wants us to be. Now, can I remind us all that we're never going to be as close to God as we want to be? You think that's a true statement? This side of eternity, we're never going to be as close to God as we want to be. But here's a question. Are we closer today than we were yesterday? Are we closer this evening than we were this morning? Are we moving toward him rather than away from him? Loving like we should can give us confidence of heart. It gives us confidence before God. But it also gives us confidence in prayer. Look at verses 22 and 23. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. And do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ. And love one another as he gave us commandment or as he commanded us. We can have confidence in prayer. You know sometimes we think there's only a few things we can ask God for. Can I remind you that God told us through Paul in the book of Philippians. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. Everything's pretty broad, isn't it? God doesn't say pray about everything but this. Pray about everything. If it's a concern that's on your heart, pray about it. The prayer that God answers, that spectrum is very, very broad. Why does God tell us to pray about so much? Because God is that kind of God. Here is this loving, caring, compassionate, just, holy God that tells his children, just ask me and I'll give it to you. Just ask me and it'll be done. Now, can I say that there have there are preachers and there are folks that have taken that statement and taken it out of context? There are folks that say if you pray to God, always be healthy and never be sick, or to be wealthy, to be rich, to have a Cadillac, to have a big house, to have a big boat. If you'll pray and have faith, God will give you all that stuff. That's not what John's talking about here. Notice all through this passage, there's been phrases like abiding in Christ, living in the will of God, obeying his commandments. There are conditions set on prayer. And here's what John means when he says, ask and it's going to be given to you there in verse 22. He says, whatever we ask, we receive from God. Why? 
because we keep his commands and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. It's not because we ask it, it's because we're living in his will. And you know what happens when you live in his will? All of a sudden, you start thinking like he does. And all of a sudden, when you're living in the will of God and you're obeying his commandments, you start wanting to act like he did. And the things that please him please you. And before you know it, when you're asking the things that you want, you're asking for the same thing God wants. Because you're walking in his will. Not because God owes you anything. Not because God is your genie. God is not our genie that says, I'll give you three wishes. Three wishes and poof. Prayer is not for us to try to bend God to coming around to our will and what we want. Prayer is all about God changing us to his will. It's a communication that we have with God. When we read scripture, when we study and we, we live our lives, we come to God and we say, God, I'm struggling with this. Help me. This is keeping me from being the way you want me to be and live in your will the way you want me to live. Help me with it. Lord, I'm hurting. Help, I'm struggling. Living love gives us confidence in prayer. And it's wrapped up here in verse 24. But he says, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, lives in him, and he, Jesus, in him. And by this we know he abides in us by the Spirit that he has given us. Now this is a transition verse. So this is where we'll start next week's lesson. But I want to finish this lesson up by telling us, do you know how to tell if you are living in the will of God? Do you know how to know if you are living in the will of God? It's through the Holy Spirit that's living in you. If you are a child of God, the Holy Spirit will either confirm that you're living in God's will, or it will convict and let you know that you need to make some changes in your life. People ask me, how do I know if I'm saved? I said, a very real way to know that, and this is for us too. Do you feel guilty when you sin? If you feel guilty when you sin, when you sin, the only way you'll feel guilty when you sin is because the Holy Spirit of God's convicting you. The Holy Spirit of God does not convict non-sinners that they're doing bad stuff, right? It takes God's Holy Spirit to convict. It takes God's Holy Spirit to give us confidence where we are. So I've got three very quick questions as we wrap this up. Are you living a life that shows agape love to others? That kind of love that sacrifices. That kind of love that's a love in action. Number two, is the Spirit of God telling you this morning that you are living in God's will? Now, if there's something in your heart and in your mind that tells you you're not living in God's will, 
That's the Holy Spirit that's working on your heart. Saying, brother, sister, you need to make some changes. You need to make some adjustments. You need heart bypass surgery. Your heart needs to bypass the negative and plug into the positive. It needs to bypass the world and get back to God. And the third question is, are you living with a spirit of doubt or assurance? And we'll unplug that here in just a minute. Miss Mary, if you'll come up. We're going to sing Amazing Grace as an invitation song here in just a minute. I don't want you worried about what the next words are of the song. I want us to sing one we know so you can think about and let the Holy Spirit work on your heart. Are you living in doubt or are you living in assurance? That's the big question this morning. And what determines that is the Holy Spirit. And if you're living in doubt, you may be in doubt because you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. You may be in doubt because you're still separated. With to God. You, you may still be God's enemy. This morning, if you think that you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, but you'd like to be saved, and you'd like to quit living the way you've been living and start living for God, can I encourage you to repent toward God? That simply means quit running from God, start running to God. Quit saying, God, I'm going to do things my way. My way hadn't worked. I'm going to live your way. And then believe in Jesus Christ. Believe that, understand that you can't save yourself. There's no work you can do that will save you. But Jesus Christ's work will save you. It's not about what we do, it's what he did on the cross. When he died on the cross for our sins, he told, he told the Father, it's finished. What's finished? The way of salvation. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I can't save myself. Lord, I've quit running from you and I'm running to you. Lord, please save me. And hallelujah, he will do that. That's a prayer God will always answer. Amen? And maybe you've made that prayer and you thought, you know, I haven't always lived like I ought to live. I haven't lived for the Lord the way I ought to live. And I've got a spirit, of, a little bit of spirit of doubt right now. But whatever it is the Lord is convicting you of, this is not Andy's invitation. This is not old New Hope's invitation. This is the Holy Spirit of God inviting you to make things right with Him. Isn't that precious? Let's take advantage of it while we stand and sing.